There are many reasons why we might feel in the wilderness. Life has become maybe a barren landscape. There's no hope. We've lost someone and we don't know which way to turn. Our hopes have been dashed. We're worried sick about our family or our finances, about our health. A relationship is going pear-shaped. We're struggling with intense loneliness. Maybe some here are conscious of growing older, of having to let go of the things that we have in the past taken for granted, things that have defined us and given us a sense of purpose. Maybe it's a particular besetting sin that we've been struggling against, maybe for years, and there seems to be no breakthrough. It's a bit like Christianity is pushing a heavy, heavy ball up a hill, and we're not sure whether we're going up or whether the ball is pushing us down. Or we're in the wilderness because God simply seems distant. Like that man on the moon, we've lost any sense of intimacy or peace or joy. Well, Isaiah chapter 40 is a message to the people of Jerusalem who were in the wilderness, in exile, in Babylon, 500 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, the proclaimers may be able to walk that distance, but the exiles were not. Jerusalem has been virtually destroyed. They are now captive migrant workers in a foreign land, forced to do the dirty work. This was people trafficking on an industrial scale. That is why they sang sad songs. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. They remembered what Zion, Jerusalem, had been and what it was now. They remembered murdered children, sons and daughters who would never grow up to be men and women. They remembered the glory of the temple, the dwelling place of God, now in ruins. And they weep. Some weep on the inside, some weep on the outside. Well, the message of Isaiah is a message of hope to people who are in the wilderness. It's the declaration that God is going to do something very special. Comfort, comfort my people. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. <coughs> and what Isaiah seems to be saying here is that firstly, the wilderness can be a place not simply of abandonment by God, but a place of testing. The people of Israel had rebelled against God. In their pride, they chose to reject him and serve other gods. Gods they had created. Gods of fertility, of political and military power, of wealth and material prosperity. God could just have walked away from them, but he didn't. He sent them prophets, people like Isaiah. And those prophets declared to the people the love of God. 
about the love of God who had blessed them with land and with the law and with his presence and the temple. But they also declared to the people that if the people continued to walk away from God, then in his wrath he would bring them to, his, to their senses. He would strip all those things away from them, their wealth, their freedom, their land, their temple. And sadly, the people did not listen, and that was what happened. But sending the people of Israel into exile, into the wilderness, was not God having a strop. When I'm angry, I think, they've hurt me, I'll hurt them back. God doesn't think like that. He's not vindictive. His anger is to discipline us in order to draw us back to himself. When life goes well, it's easy to forget God, to think we're in control and, and that, that, that we determine our own destiny, that we deserve the good that we get. But when it goes bad, when things are stripped away from us, we begin to realize how small and dependent we are, how fragile our dreams are, and we begin to realize that we need God. There are many reasons why we may find ourselves in the wilderness. It may be because we've walked away from God, as it was for Israel. It may be because we're being faithful to God. The psalmist says, because of you, he says, because of our faith in you, God, we are being killed all day long. It may be because we're simply men and women who are mortal and frail and weak. It may be because we've chosen to go into the wilderness. Jesus chose to go into the wilderness for 40 days. Whatever the reason, the wilderness does not need to be that time of abandonment by God but a time of testing. It can be the time when we turn our backs completely on God and say, well, God, why am I going through this? You say you're a God of love. You say you're a God of power, yet look at what is happening to me, and I'm going to walk away from you. Or it can be the time when we realize that there is nobody or nothing else that we can turn to. And so we cry out to him in our desperation. And then, then the wilderness becomes that incredibly precious place of dependence on him. And secondly, the wilderness can be a place of comfort. God says through Isaiah, comfort, oh comfort my people, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When I first read that, I thought that God was saying to the people of Israel, you've suffered enough, I've punished you enough. In fact, I've punished you twice as much as I should have done, so now you're forgiven twice over. But as we read through Isaiah, I don't think it's saying that. 
In chapter 53, Isaiah speaks of one who will be completely innocent, who will come and take all the sin of Israel onto his shoulders. He will suffer, but he will not suffer for his own sin, but the sins of others. He will be pierced and crushed. So it's not Israel's suffering in the wilderness which cancels out their sin, but the suffering of the innocent one. And his self-sacrifice is so great that it doesn't wipe out our sins once, but twice. Of course, we're talking here of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're talking of a mystery that is so deep, it cannot be expressed in words. But at the very heart of the Christian faith is the conviction that we're forgiven, not because of anything we do, but because of what he did. And that's really good news. Because if our forgiveness was dependent on us serving a sentence for our sin, how severe should that sentence be? How much do we need to suffer to merit God's forgiveness? I read the story of a man, Felix Bush, who in the 1930s had an affair with a married woman. Her husband found out and he murdered his wife. Felix felt guilty for his lover's death. For 40 years, he chose to go into the wilderness. He lived alone with nothing in the harshest of circumstances. At the end of those 40 years, he comes back to the town. He was talking with the minister about his own funeral. And the minister said to him, are you right with God? Do you have peace with God? And Felix, talking about the incident that had happened 40 or so years before, said, yes, he said, I have paid. I have paid for it. But the minister very wisely said to him, Mr. Bush, you cannot buy forgiveness. You cannot buy forgiveness. It is free, but you have to ask for it. At the 9.30 service, we, we sang a song once or twice until I realized what it was that we were singing, which was asking God to forgive us because we are really, really sorry. But that's not right. How sorry do we need to be to get God to forgive us. This sorry, this sorry, this sorry. Uh, and how do we measure our sorriness? By how much we beat ourselves up? If forgiveness is dependent on us, we will never be completely sure if we're sorry enough, or if we've suffered enough, or if we have done sufficient good to cancel out the bad. And the wilderness can be a place of great comfort because when everything is taken from us, we realize we cannot earn our forgiveness. 
We cannot earn it by cancelling out the bad stuff with good stuff. We cannot earn it by being religious. We cannot earn it by suffering. We cannot earn it by even by being very, very, very sorry. The wilderness is the place where we're stripped of everything, of our self-reliance. It's the place where all we can rely on is the work of Jesus on the cross and the promise of God that because he died on the cross, our sins are forgiven. That's why John the Baptist calls people into the wilderness to be baptised. To go to him, they have to leave behind all the things they've put their trust in, at least temporarily. It's why people in the early church would be baptised, enter into the water virtually naked. They have nothing to bring with them, nothing to hide behind, nothing to rely on. And it's why then when they came out of the water they were dressed in white. It was a picture to show them that forgiveness and this new life has nothing to do with them but everything to do with what Jesus has done. And thirdly, the wilderness is the place where we prepare to meet the coming God. Isaiah speaks of how a road will be built in the wilderness. Uh, The commentators are not particularly agreed on this. Some say it's the road that the exiles in Babylon will take as they walk to Jerusalem. Others say it's the road that God will take in order to come to them, to bring his comfort to them. Uh, My own reflection, this is the coward's approach because I actually put the two together, is that it's talking about the road that God will take, but it's the road he takes as he comes to his people and as he leads his people out of captivity in Babylon to Jerusalem. As Christians, we understand that the royal road points to something more. For God has come to his people, that's what Christmas is about, in order to lead his people out of captivity, out of a world ruled by sin and death, into a a creation, a new creation ruled by life and love. And as God comes into the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem with his people, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together. Nothing will stop this. This road is straight. There are no obstacles, no barriers. God's triumphal procession is certain. And yet we also need to prepare the road That's what the New Testament teaches. John the Baptist is described as the second Isaiah, or if you like, he is the great Isaiah, to whom Isaiah pointed. The voice of one calling, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He is the messenger who's come to prepare people for the coming of God, for the coming of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he does that by calling us into the wilderness, calling us to strip away our false gods, our pride, the things we depend on to give us our sense of identity or purpose or value. 
He calls us to trust in the promise of God, the promise of forgiveness, of comfort, of his love, and of a final home. So I finish by speaking to those of you who feel, for whatever reason, that you are in the wilderness now. Please don't despair. Don't give up. Even if that ball is so heavy and it feels you're being pushed down the hill. Use your experience. See your experience as a time of testing. Allow some of those things that you have previously put your trust in to go so that you can reach out more for him. Use it as a time to stop trying to earn forgiveness, to stop trying to make yourself acceptable to him and learn to simply receive his forgiveness, to receive his love as a gift. And see the wilderness not as a place where you are 500 miles away from God, but as the place where you can meet with God, where he will come to you and where he will lead you through those deserted and barren and dry places to your final home, your ultimate destiny, and his ultimate glory. Amen.